Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, good morning. Great to have all of you with us today, joining us for our time of worship. Um, it is, it's a good day to be able to gather together and worship here today. Um, th it's an amazing to me that we have this kind of turnout because we have the women's retreat going on. There are 60 women that are th at the women's retreat. I did not expect this many guys to be able to get themselves ready today <laughs> without their wives here and to get the kids here as well. So it is, it is uh, an amazing time <laughs> to have all of you gathered here. We are starting a brand new sermon series called called Heaven and Hell. We're going to be looking for four weeks at the topics of Heaven and Hell. Uh, the first two weeks, we're going to look at the topic of Hell, and then we're going to spend two weeks talking about the topic of Heaven. So I want to give a little bit of a, uh, of a warning. As we talk about Hell, if you have little kids that are in here, it may not be appropriate for them with some of the things that we're going to be talking about. I'm going to leave that up to you as parents, but maybe a warning of kids that are under maybe 12 or so, maybe it would be a good idea for them to go to children's church, because we're going to talk about some of the things that Jesus himself said about the topic of hell. And some of those things can be very difficult to understand and be very difficult to hear. Some of them can be very graphic in nature. So we're going to be looking at those things as we get into this series. We're going to start and look at the bad news. We're going to start and look at the bad news of, of uh, what hell actually is and what Jesus says hell is going to be. And we're going to finish it out with some incredibly good news, the good news of what heaven is going to be. Now, I thought about when I started this series, calling it and titling it, Heaven Yes, Hell No. And I thought maybe that's just not appropriate and maybe I'll call it something different. So we're going to be calling it uh, Heaven and Hell as we get into this today. So how many of you, in your, in your church life, in the church world, as you've been attending sermons and going and being a part of those sermons, uh, how many of you have heard a specific topic that has dealt with the issue of heaven? How many have heard a sermon on heaven at some point in their lives, okay? How many of you have heard a specific topic dealing with the, or a specific sermon dealing with the topic of hell in your life? So some among us here, not a whole lot of hands that are getting raised. There's not a lot of preaching or talking about that. The reason being, we have gotten to a point in our society where we've ta stopped talking about the eternal things of heaven and hell. 
And so that's why we're going to talk about these for the next four weeks. God has been putting on uh, this on my heart all summer that this is something that I want to get into. And I want you to know that the heaven part of it that we're going to get into is going to be encouraging. It's going to be comforting. It's going to bless your heart. It's going to give you, um, it's going to give you some uh, wonderful things to hang on to. But these two messages, the next two weeks on hell, are going to be a little bit more challenging and a little bit more difficult as we look at those today. It's going to cause us to feel some grief and some sorrow and some pain and some fear, especially for those loved ones that we know that aren't right with God, who don't have a relationship with him, and we are concerned about as they're, as they're facing hell in front of them. Uh, in my ministry, in 25 years of ministry, I have not ever done a series on heaven and hell, and I really, I can't even remember back in my own personal life where I've heard a message preached by a pastor that has covered these topics. So I'm very, I'm excited to talk about them, but I'm also a little bit apprehensive to talk about them. There's a couple of reasons that I feel like this is so necessary, though. The first reason is that, did you know that in the Bible that Jesus talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible? He, in fact, talked more about hell than he did about heaven. So if he thought it was important enough that this is a topic that he needed to talk about, I feel like it's important enough that it's a topic that we need to talk about as well. The second reason I think this is such an important concept is the last three generations, which would be the Gen X generation, which is my generation, the Gen Y and the Gen Z generations, my generation and those below me, I don't think that we would typically ever hear a message on this because most pastors today do not preach on these topics. They preach instead on things like you're going how to have your best life now. They preach on things like five steps to better time management, but they don't cover the things that are so important in your life, and that's the topics of heaven and hell. Jonathan Edwards was a theologian who, who was important in American history. He was a theologian in the 1700s, early 1700s. In those generations, they talked about these real concepts, and he said this statement, he said, I resolve to live every day as if I have already seen the torments of hell and the happiness of heaven. In other words, this is so profoundly important in my life that I'm going to live out my life as if I am looking into the future and I understand the heaven and hell concepts. That today does not matter. What matters is eternity, and I'm going to be living for that. An interesting observation in my own life. I've done, I've been at numerous, numerous funerals in my lifetime, in, in uh, my years of ministry. I've performed many min uh, funerals, but I've been to a whole lot of funerals in my life. And it's amazing to me, with all of the funerals that I have been to, that every single outcome of every single funeral is that somehow the guy made it to heaven that no one has ever gone to hell in every one of the funerals that I have ever been to, which is absolutely amazing. And I get that. You want to talk the best about people when they have passed away. I, I understand that people don't want to see a person laying in a casket and you say, you know what? The guy was really a jerk. He, he uh, didn't love his family. He didn't love God. He was very selfish, probably in hell right now. Nobody wants to say that in a funeral. But in reality, 
the truth of the matter is, Jesus said something that should make us pause when it comes to the idea of heaven and hell. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I want you to notice the words that he says and the words that he uses. Jesus uses this very descriptive picture of what's going to happen and what it's going to be like. He says this, enter through the narrow gate. He says, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to, notice this, that leads to destruction. And those who enter through it the wide gate, leading to destruction are many. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And those who find life are few. So the subject of hell, the subject of heaven, is so vitally important that Jesus gave a warning saying, many people are going to miss the mark and many people are going to end up in hell and we need to talk about this. In fact, this, is, this subject of hell, to talk about this, is not insensitive. It's not something that is uncaring. In fact, it may be the most loving thing that I could ever do in your life to talk about the topic of hell. It would be like this. If a doctor uh, was treating you and knew you had cancer and knew that the cancer was completely treatable... But he didn't want to be insensitive, so he just refused to tell you about the cancer. That would not be sensitive. That would be the most unloving, cruel thing a person could do. In the same way, we are talking about something that is not unloving, but incredibly loving to bring a warning to what this is actually going to be according to what Jesus said. It could cause, cause us to pause. It should cause us to fear. It should cause us to sorrow. And it should cause us at the end of this to be grateful that we do not have to go there. Would you pray with me as we get into deeper into this message? Father God. We need to hear from you. We need your heart. We need your ideas. We need your mind, Lord. Help us to understand this incredibly rough topic. Help us to understand how serious this issue is. And help us to have a sense of urgency for the people in our lives that we love. Friends and family members and acquaintances. Even strangers, Lord, that we care about them and we want to warn them because we don't want to see them end up in this place, the place of destruction, the way that the world is going. We want to see them hope and find help in you. So, Lord, speak to us today. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Give us a sense of urgency and give us a sense of hope as we talk about hell. Lord, we thank you. We invite you to this place. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I'm going to answer three questions today. And then next week, what we're going to do is we are going to look at a parable that Jesus told that gives us an incredible description of what hell is going to be like. But let's look at three questions. We are going to look at, number one, what is hell going to be like? We're going to look at number two, how long is it going to last? And then number three, why is it going to last 
that long. So let's jump into number one. What is hell going to be like? Now, before I describe what hell is going to be like, and I'm not, I don't care about other sources. I don't care about other books that have been written, people who've had out-of-body, near-death experiences. I don't care about any of that. All I care about is what did Jesus actually say, and that's all that we're going to look at. Before I get into the description of what Jesus said, I want to talk about what hell is not going to be like. Hell is not going to be what is being depicted in TV shows and movies and books these days. <clears throat> there are shows and popular shows about hell. It's the glorification of it. It makes it look like fun, a party, a wonderful, a wonderful thing that people can look forward to. That is not, according to Jesus, what hell is going to be. It's not at all going to be that. It is not going to be... You sitting around a pool with your buddies, drinking a beer, talking about the escapades that you had in life. That is not at all what hell is going to be like. Here's what Jesus says that hell is going to be. Number one, get this, hell is a real place with a real existence. One of the many things that Jesus was clear on is that he never talked about hell as symbolism. It was never symbolic. Jesus always talked about it as a real place with a real existence. There has been a theology that has grown up that teaches that hell is just a symbolic place. It is a theology about our separation from God. If we've not trusted in God, we are separated. That it's not actually a real place. The problem with that is that goes in contrast to what Jesus himself actually said. In Matthew 13, 40, I want you to notice this. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 40. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who practice lawlessness. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, notice these words, in that place. He's talking about a real, literal place, a real existence in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus never once talked about hell as symbolism. He never talked about it as symbolic. Every single time he talked about it, he talked about it as an actual physical place that people who do not trust in Jesus go. A real hell. A real existence. That's number one. Number two, notice this. According to Jesus, hell is a place of emotional and physical pain. What he's going to talk about is starting to get more and more graphic about what this place is. Now look back at the verse I just read, Matthew 13. We'll look at just verse 34. Look at what he says with it. He says, they will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be, notice the two things, there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of Teeth. What is what is this about? What is Jesus saying? What is weeping? Well, weeping is equivalent to the idea of sorrow. In that place, there will be sorrow. It means that hell will be a place of sorrow. Hell is not a place that people will be emotionally numb. They will retain their ability to feel. 
And what are they going to feel? They're going to, be sor- they're going to feel sorrow. And that's one emotion that Jesus talks over and over again about hell is that people are going to feel sorrow. Now, that is the opposite of heaven. Because in heaven, it says there will be no more sorrow, no more pain. There will be no more tears. He will wipe every tear from the eye. So in heaven, it is no sorrow, but in hell, it will be sorrow, and it will be one that's an overwhelming emotion that people will have in their lives. Now, notice the second thing that he says, and there will be gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus uses this phrase... Many times. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, there will be incredible sorrow and there will be the gnashing of teeth. What is gnashing of teeth? Well, think about in your own life the clenching of your teeth that usually is associated with either emotional or physical pain that maybe you've had. I've seen pictures of like in, um, in the Civil War when they didn't have the, the uh, uh, anesthesias the way that they would have today and they would have to cut off a limb of somebody who had been wounded in battle. And you've seen pictures. They would just give them a stick to bite down on, and then they would get the bone saw, the flesh saw, the bone saw, and they would start cutting off a limb. And all the person could do would be to clinch, to gnash the teeth. Maybe you've, some of you have had an experience, not where you've had a limb cut off, but maybe you've had pain because you did something physically, and it hurt so bad, you couldn't scream, you couldn't yell, you couldn't cry. All you could do was just clinch your teeth so bad. In this place, he says, there will be gnashing of teeth, and it will be a place of unbearable sorrow along with physical and emotional pain that will be affecting you if you go to hell. That is a scary statement. That is a tremendously graphic statement that Jesus makes. Let's keep going, though, because he gets even deeper. He says that hell will be a place of outer darkness. Outer, outer darkness, what is outer darkness? In the book Dante's Inferno, which is an, a, a fictional book about hell, but there's a statement that is made in there I think that is pretty accurate. In the doorway into hell, there's a sign above the door in Dante's Inferno that says this. It says, ye who enter here abandon all hope. Hell is a place where there is no Hope. It is a place of outer darkness. I want you to look at this with me, what Jesus himself says in Matthew 22, verse 11, 11 through 13. Jesus is talking about a parable of heaven. And in this parable of heaven, he has invited people into the wedding feast, into the wedding supper of the lamb. You've been invited into heaven, but there's one who's there who did not belong. And look at what he says. When the king came in to look over the guests, he saw a man there who wasn't dressed in wedding clothes. In other words, he didn't have the appropriate attire because he had not been cleansed. But the man was silent. Or he said to him, friend, he said to him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? But the man was silent. Then the king said to his servants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him, notice these words, into the outer Darkness. In that place will be what Jesus had already said in other places. There will be that tremendous, overwhelming sorrow and emotional and physical pain. That's the place of outer darkness. So what is the word 
outer darkness. Well, the key word in it is really this word outer. I want you to notice the word outer. What is this word outer? In order to understand this, you need to understand what we get to experience here on this earth. The word outer doesn't just mean that this is a dark place. You go, it's, the lights are off, it's just dark. That's not what it means. Outer darkness is something incredibly different. Here on earth, believers and non-believers get to experience something that theologians call common grace. You know what common grace is? Common grace is the benefits of God poured out into this world because he's the creator of the world, whether people believe in him or not, whether they love him or not. God gives blessings to all people living here in this world. That's called the common grace of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it says this, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Every day, God gives to people what is called common grace. Whether you like him or not, whether you love him or not, whether you hate him or not, he gives the common grace to all mankind, all of humanity. So what does that mean? Well, that means that even if you hate him, you get to experience the rain. You may have a farm, you hate him, but the rain still comes and it grows the crops. You get to experience the sunshine, the warmth of the sun on a cold day. You get to experience the shade on a hot day. You get to stand on the beach and watch the sunset. You get to go to the mountains and enjoy the mountains and enjoy the fresh air of the mountains. You get to set up camp and enjoy that even if you hate God. You get to go spend time by the lake. You get to enjoy good, good food, friends, community and fellowship. You even get to experience joy and pleasure. Even if you hate God, you get to experience the common grace of God that is God's blessing upon this world. In hell, you are completely separated from the presence of God. Being completely separated from the presence of God, you are separated from the maker and the source of all good. So when you are sent there in an outer darkness, now there is no pleasure, no fellowship, no community, no beauty, no cool breezes, no sunsets. There is nothing left but complete darkness, lacking the presence of God. And that is what Jesus says will happen for someone who is sent to hell. They will experience outer darkness. Number four, not only is it a place of outer darkness, not only is it a real place with a real existence, a place of emotional and physical pain, a place of outer darkness, it is also a place of continuous suffering and regret. Really graphic stuff that Jesus is going to speak about. But here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verses 47 and 48. Jesus is talking about heaven and hell, and he says, If your hand makes you stumble, better to cut it off and go without a hand than enter into hell with two good hands. If your foot makes you stumble, better cut it off, because it would be far better to lose a foot than go into hell with two feet. And then he says this, If your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. 
It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna. We're going to look at that word. Where, Jesus is going to quote Isaiah chapter 66 verse 24, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What is he talking about? Let me tell you what Gehenna is. In Jerusalem, Jerusalem was kind of built on a plateau. So Jerusalem is built up here. We got Jerusalem here. In the valley to the south part of ancient Jerusalem was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom. The word Hinnom was used as the word Gehenna. Gehenna, when translated from Hebrew to Greek, is the word hell. What was Gehenna? Gehenna was this valley right here. The valley was the ancient dumping grounds. It was the garbage dump of Jerusalem. Jesus says, in that garbage dump, that is what hell is. That is the valley of Hinnom. That's Gehenna. That's what hell is going to be like. He's saying that's not what hell is, but it's what it is going to be like. So what does Jesus say? He says, in that place, that's where they throw all of the dead bodies, the dead animals, all of the garbage of the day. In fact, back in 2 Kings, it talks about the fact that, that this is the place where children were sacrificed to idols. They turned that place into the garbage dump. This is the place of hell that Jesus says it's going to be like a garbage dump that the fire will never go out. And the worm will never stop. The worm will continue on and not die from that place. Now, the thought of that is just eternal torment. It's, it's likened to the worm. Now, the word worm is the word, actually, it's the word maggot. He said it's where the maggots crawl. It's where the maggots eat away. So is this what it's going to be like? Is this a literal picture? I, maybe. But I don't think it's a literal picture that Jesus is giving. I think it's more what he's saying. He's saying that there's going to be a nagging, guilty conscience that will be persistent and stay with you, gnawing away like a worm would gnaw away at its victim with, with a remorse that can never be removed. It will be forever of a continuous guilt a continuous sadness, a continuous regret, a continuous remorse that it will be eating away. Now notice what the word says. It says, it says, their worm. Notice even how it's spelled. It's spelled T-H-E-I-R. It's there. It's a specific to you in that place. And that keeps nagging at you, gnawing at you, eating away at you forever. So he says... It is a real place. Jesus says it's emotional and physical pain. Jesus says it is outer darkness away from the common grace of God. Jesus says it's a place of continuous suffering and regret. These are the words of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said of that place. And if you know people in your life that you know, I, I think that they probably went to hell. That is what they're experiencing and if you know people in your life that don't know the Lord, yet they're still alive, this is what is in their future if they don't turn 
to Jesus. And if you don't know the Lord, this is what your future looks like, according to Jesus, if you don't turn to him. That's number one. Number one, how, how, what is this going to be like? Number two, really quickly, these are the rest will go kind of quick. Number two, how long is it going to last? Well, how long is it going to last? There is another theology that has popped up among Christian circles that is really anti-God's word. It's a, it's a theology called annihilism. Here's what annihilism means. It means when you die, if you don't know the Lord, you don't actually go to hell. You just cease to exist. You're just wiped off. No memories, nothing. You're just gone forever. That's what annihilism is. So annihilism says once you die, it's over. You're not going to spend eternity in hell. There's nothing like that. If you're a sinner, you don't trust in Christ. You die, and then you just cease to exist. No eternal punishment. Here's the problem with that theology. Again, it goes against what Jesus himself said. Jesus talked about the very end of days. He talked about a judgment that is going to happen. In Matthew chapter 25, he says that this judgment is going to be all people of all time will be brought before the throne of God and they will be divided into the left and to the right. There will be a group on the left, a group uh, on the right. It is going to be divided. In Matthew chapter 25, verse, 40, uh, verse 41, he says this, Then the king will say to those on the left, Go away from me, you cursed ones, into the everlasting fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he says in verse 46, These shall go off to everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. What is the word? Everlasting. In the Hebrew, or in the Greek, I'm sorry, the word everlasting just means forever. There have been a lot of theologians that have done all kinds of gymnastics trying to make it mean something that it does not mean. What it means, according to the Greek, is forever, without end, never to cease, everlasting. The King James Version says everlasting. The New King James Version says everlasting. The NIV says eternal. NLT, eternal, ESV, eternal, New American Standard, eternal. So whether it's everlasting or eternal, it's both the same thing. It will last forever. That's how long it's going to last, according to what Jesus says. So do you believe him? Do you take him seriously? Or do you just ignore what he says? So he says, it's a real place, emotional, physical pain, outer darkness, suffering, regret. It's going to last forever. Third. Why is it going to last that long? Why is it going to last that long? Now, if you're like me, you get to this point in the message and you hear things like real place, gnashing of teeth, weeping, outer darkness, worm never dies, fire never goes out, and you're thinking, wow, wow, God, seriously? Forever? I, I mean, uh, seriously, it's just a small sin, right? If forever, how could it possibly be forever? If it's forever, I don't want to go through something like that for 60 seconds, much less an hour, a day, a week, or a year. I don't want to go there at all. I don't want to experience that at all. 
and you're saying it's going to last forever. That seems, from my perspective, like a massive divine overreaction, God. Is that the case? There was a former Christian theologian who wrestled with this exact same thing, and he, in fact, lost his faith and walked away from God over this issue. Here's what he said. He said, let me say at the outset that I consider the concept of hell as endless torment in body and mind an outrageous doctrine. How can Christians possibly uh, project a deity of such cruelty and vindictiveness whose ways include inflicting everlasting torture upon his creatures, however sinful they may have been? I want you to know, I I get that. I, I understand where he's coming from. It's one of those things you have to wrestle with and understand. I mean, logically, does it make sense? God, why are you doing this? Well, let me respond in a couple of ways. Number one, the statement that that guy made is incredibly arrogant. Because how can we, as people, say to the creator God, this is what you have to do and this is how you have to do it. We are not the ones to talk back to God. He has reasons and he has a way. And we can't talk back to him and tell him it shouldn't be this way. But I want to tell you another way that we understand this. And you're going to to agree with this because this is logic that we all agree with. And this is logic that we all follow every day. And this is going to explain why God does this. Here's the logic behind it all. And I'm going to say this statement in this way. When you sin against someone... The punishment that you receive for that sin is always proportionate to the authority of the person that you sinned against. This is the logic behind all of this. When you sin against somebody, the punishment that you receive for that sin is always equal to the authority of the person that you sinned against. So let me illustrate this and explain this, and you're going to say, yeah, I agree with that in just a few minutes when I explain what that statement means. Just remember that when you sin against someone, the punishment is always proportionate to the authority of the person that you sin against. So let me give you some illustrations of this, or an illustration. Let's say this. Let's say, let's say I lied. I lied. Okay. Um, everybody in this room. I wanted to pick a sin that everybody has done in this room. Everybody has lied. If you say, Aaron, I've never lied, then you just lied, and it makes you eligible for this illustration. <laughs> Everybody in this room has lied. Everybody is guilty of lying. God commanded, you shall not bear false witness. So what that means is no lies. But everybody in this room has done that. We have all broken God's laws, and we are all guilty of breaking the law when we lied. Now let me tell you how this would work and how this would work in your life. If I lied to a friend... What are the consequences of me lying to a friend? Well, the consequences of lying to a friend are not that severe. They may be mad at me. They may not talk to me for a while. But that's about all that my friend can do if I lie to my friend. Why is that? Because my friend does not have authority in my life. So the consequences are very minor if I lie to my friend. Okay, let's kick it up a notch. Let's say this, when I was a kid, I lied to my parents. 
Did you ever lie to your parents? What happened for us that were born, you know, pre-1975? What happened, maybe pre-1980 when my sisters were born, because that didn't happen to them as much. What happened when you lied to your parents for anything? Well, if you were in my home, dad started unbuckling his belt. And the belt started coming out, and I got a beating. In the name of Jesus, I got a beating. (laughs) Why did I get a beating, or why did I get grounded if I were lying to my parents? Because my parents held more authority. It's the same sin. I lied to my friend, nothing happened. I lied to my parents, I get a spanking, or I get a grounding. Or in today's thing, it would be I take away my kids' phones, which would they would much rather have a beating than their phones get taken away. Okay? The authority is different. The sin is the same, but my parents have more authority than my friends do. Got that? Let's kick it up a notch. Let's say now I lie to my boss. What happens if you lie to your boss? Do you get spanked? No. Most likely you get fired. That's what happens if you lie to your boss. You don't get them just not talking to you. You don't get grounded. You don't don't lose your phone. You don't get a spanking. Now you lose your job. Why? It's the exact same sin. Well, now the authority is greater. And if I lie to my boss, the authority is more than if I had lied to my parents who may have just given me a spanking or grounded me or taken away my phone. Now I could lose my job and may lose my job because I lied to my boss. Does that make sense? Let's kick it up another notch. What happens now if you're called to be a key witness in the court of law? And now you go before a judge. And the judge in the court of law You're there to give testimony before the jury and the judge, and you lie on the stand. Well, now they don't even call it lying. Now they're going to call it perjury because it is that much more severe. So now I don't lose my job. I don't get spanked. I don't get grounded. Now I go to jail. Why would I go to jail? It's the same sin. I go to jail because the authority is greater and your sin, the punishment for your sin is always in proportion to the authority that people have in your life. So now I don't lose my job. I don't get spanked. I don't just, they don't talk to me. Now it's, I go to jail. Let me kick it up another notch. In the overwhelming majority of human history, our world has been ruled and run by kings. It's only of late that we've had democracies, but most of the history of the world, it has been kings and kingdoms. You're a subject in that kingdom, and you're brought before the king, and you lie to the king. What happens if you lie to the king? Yeah, chop off your head. Everybody pretty much agrees with that one, right? I mean, that's what happens. You don't lose your job. You don't get thrown into jail. You don't get spanked. You don't get grounded. You lose your life. Why? Because the authority of the king is higher than the authority of the judge, which is higher than the authority of the boss, higher than the authority of the parents, higher than the authority of friends. Okay, let's go one final time. Let's raise it one final time, and now let's put God. How big is the authority of Almighty God? Well, 
is the authority of Almighty God big? And the answer is no. It is not big. You can measure big. His authority is infinite. And you cannot measure infinite. God's authority is infinite. So what is the punishment of lying to the Almighty God? The authority of a king is like one single drop of rain in the Pacific Ocean compared to the authority of the Almighty God. So when the authority of the Almighty God, the infinite authority says, you shall not bear false witness, and you do it, and you sin against him, the punishment is always equal to the authority of the one who you have sinned against. And so that is why God has ultimate authority. And that is why the punishment of sin is death. Look at Romans chapter 6 verse 23 and hear it with fresh ears because this statement is so true. For sin's payment is death. In the Greek language, it's not even the word death. It is, the word is eternal death. For sin's payment is eternal death. And now you know why. Because you have sinned against the one who has the ultimate authority. He's not like a friend. He's not like a parent. He's not like a boss. He's not like the judge. He's not like a king. He is the ultimate authority with infinite authority in our lives. And so that statement, for sin's payment is death, should not be shocking to you anymore. It should make perfect sense. Why is it going to last so long? Because we have sinned against the infinite almighty God. Here is the shocking statement, and it's the rest of the verse. Here's what the rest of the verse says. For sin's payment is death, but, this is an incredible concept, but God's gracious gift is eternal life in Messiah, Christ Jesus, Yeshua, our Lord. This is the shocking part of it because we have rebelled against him. We've spit upon him. We have over and over and over again uh, done what is wrong in his sight against God. And yet he would give us the opportunity to receive infinite life rather than infinite death. That's the shocking thing. That we have a God who is completely justified in sending every one of us to hell. But he gives us the opportunity to come to heaven with him. Why? Because the most loving act in history of the entire world is when God came to this planet and he put on our flesh and he hung on the cross in our place to take our infinite punishment. That's what should shock us. That he gives us an opportunity that we don't have to go to hell. If you go to hell, it's not God's fault. We, we've got to get to the place where we stop saying God sends people to hell because he doesn't send people to hell. What sends people to hell is my sin, your sin. That's what sends us to hell. And if you go to hell, it's because God, because God sent you there, not from his doing, but because you made a conscious choice not to receive the gift that he wants to offer to you. So this is what hell is. This is how long hell is going to last. So how do we end this message? 
you know, hell is bad, go enjoy your brunch. You know, that is, do we end it like that? I think we have to end it more seriously. In, the, in this way, heaven and hell are a choice. If you still have breath in your lungs right now, that choice is still available to you. You can look at the Lord and say to the Lord, Lord, I am a sinner. I have offended your infinite authority and therefore I deserve infinite punishment. So because of that, I need someone to take that punishment for me. And I want to thank you, God, that you sent your son to take my eternal punishment. I'm going to put my trust and my faith in him. I'm going to receive the free gift that he has offered. That is the choice that you have before you today. If you do not, if you do not want to trust in him, if you refuse to trust in Christ as your savior then I want to say this with the most pastoral love and compassion I can. If you don't want Christ, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Go out those doors and enjoy this world. Enjoy the beauty. Enjoy good food. Enjoy all kinds of fellowship and friendships. Enjoy every pleasure you can find. Go to the beach Enjoy the waves. Enjoy the sunset. Go to the mountains and enjoy the mountains. Because if you do not trust Christ, this earth is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. But for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, who have put our faith in him, who have our sins forgiven by him, this message today should do two things. It should produce a sense of profound sorrow. And it should also produce urgency. Sorrow for the people in my life that I know that are headed there. And urgency that I tell everyone I can about the hope that can be found in him. That's one of the things that it should do. But the second thing that it should do is this. That Christian, because you have been forgiven... Because Jesus died for you, because he has wiped every sin away from you, and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then go out into this world and endure. Endure the hardships, endure the sufferings, endure the trials, endure the pain, endure the cancer, endure the heart attacks, endure the strokes, endure the garbage of the world. Because if you are a follower of Christ, this earth is as close to hell as you'll ever get. And that should encourage us that we can endure, that we can do all things because Jesus Christ came so much for, for us. Checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.